0: Today I'd like to introduce you to an amazing female. She's a combat veteran, a Purple Heart recipient, and one heck of a poet. I met her when I was touring my play The American Soldier in Granbury, Texas. I found her story incredibly inspiring, incredibly moving, and I want to share her story with you. So everyone, meet Sergeant V. Welcome, Sergeant V. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Doug. You're an awesome
1: man and uh couldn't be prouder to be your friend and uh you well, know the play that you put on is just outstanding it moved me to my core and I'm just tickled to have met you and and call you my friend and I'm honored to be wow. on your show
0: well that's <laughs> <the>, your's <laughs> the honors mine and you definitely you definitely moved me with your story you know I wanted to start back a little bit about your family I found your your uh, in, in your bio what you what you shared with me he says your your parents were they were migrant farmers. Yes. Tell me about that. Yes, sir. Tell well, me, let's um, start from the beginning in a way.
1: Okay, so my parents obviously were migrate migrants. We came they migrated from Mexico. You know, of course, um, as all you know, pretty much everybody came from somewhere. So yeah. um, they they came from Mexico back in the day. Uh, dad was orphaned at the age of six, believe it or not. Um, he had no parents. He grew up in, in Mexico. Um, mom in Mexico? did have... Um, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um,
0: oh, don't worry. If you don't know, you don't know. It's okay.
1: I'm not sure. I I know it was along the border towns of Mexico and Texas.
0: Around Pueblo. Um,
1: uh, it was like... I don't know. It's I'm bad. not going to lie. I don't know. But anyways, he grew up, you know, in the border towns, and he he used to try to come to the U.S. by himself when he was little, because he had to support his younger siblings, you know, and it was uh, was hard on him, being one of the oldest, believe it or not, at six, he was one of the oldest, so um, he had to try to support his younger siblings, and uh, he would try to cross you know, into the States to try to make a better life for him and his younger siblings. And then um, my mom, of course, um, she had her parents, but they all came from a big family. You know, we're talking about mom had like 14 brothers and sisters or something like that. And then dad, of course, he had a big family as well. And then um, uh, he grew up by himself, um, came to the U.S., met my mom, you know, uh, one of the many times he was crossing over uh you know um settled down you know here in the u s um they became legal citizens um after uh you know many years of trying and getting they became natural citizens um then we ended up being born all of us are u s citizens
0: yeah. and, watch uh, that watch that pen Sergeant v. That pen when you oh, click it down, the audio on your iPad picks it right up. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, when you stack it they, on the uh,
1: table. Sorry. Um, they...
0: Uh, media.
1: Settled, they settled down and, uh, you know, um, I don't know what's, what... Um,
0: Where where'd you guys settle down?
1: In, well, they ended up, you know... Moving around because I have a sister that was born in California, one right. that was born in Burnet, Texas, but eventually they settled down in DeLeon. But throughout the years, they ended up migrating to uh, Wisconsin, and this was way back in the in the '60s, even before I was born. And they kept going back to the same farmer, which is Jones's Farms in. The wild rose, Wisconsin. And we ended up going back to the same farm with the same farmer for, oh, I'd say about 20, 30 years. You know, they just kept going back to the same place. And we grew to know the family, the Joneses family. They became like part of our own family after going back for so many years. You know, it was like they were our second family. They knew us since, I mean, heck, they knew me before I was even, you know, they knew my family before I was even born. You you know, they knew my dad, they knew my mom's side of the family. Yes, sir, I was born in Texas, (laughs) but they knew all of us since, you know, since way back. You know, they got to know my mom's family because my mom's family was from Mexico, but then... um, are they even they heck you know what this is the, I just found this out not too long ago uh, the Joneses family sponsored my mom and my dad to actually become U.S. citizens because back wow. then I didn't know that they needed a sponsor and they actually stepped up and they sponsored my mom and my dad so that they be, could become legal that- citizens.
0: It was very cheap and easy back then because my dad was from Argentina, and I remember I remember him helping his cousins and uh, ne- uh, and uh, nephews. They would come from Argentina, and he'd take them over to the uh, embassy. And I think within a couple days, they were U.S. citizens. I mean, it was really easy. And this was like in the early '80s. I remember, and it wasn't that difficult. It's nothing like it is today. I mean, I mean, it's you know, especially after nine eleven. Yes. So you were and you were and you were and you were born in, you said you were born in Texas. Sorry i missed that. I was
1: born in De Leon, Texas, which oh. is um I settled and live in Granbury now, but um De Leon's only about an hour away that's from here.
0: That's such a beautiful town. I mean that's such it a- is.
1: I'm enamored by it and very blessed that you know that we're here. I, yeah. I love it. It's home.
0: Yeah, that it's was awesome. a great show. I mean, that was I was like a little piece of Americana it was really nice. How long have you been in Granbury?
1: Uh, we've been here fixing to be five years in, um, July. Are,
0: your still, years in July. are your parents still alive?
1: Um, we lost my dad to, uh, cancer in 2009. And my mom is still alive. She's, uh, going through her second round of, uh, breast cancer. Um, oh. You know, she got diagnosed um, for the first time shortly after my dad passed away back in 09. She got diagnosed in 2010. And then um, she got diagnosed again about two years ago with her second round. She's, she's can,
0: tough. can you turn off the TV behind you?
1: Oh, I didn't even know it was on my bed.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I have four older sisters, no brothers, which made um very uh, difficult for us growing up. Uh, not only work wise, my poor dad, you know, having uh, five females, five daughters plus my mom in the house, you know. Right.
0: Oof. That's enough. Well, I grew up, a first, I grew up with five women as well because my dad was a merchant marine, so he traveled. So it was always just me and, and four and four women and my mom. And <laughs> for the most part, it was pretty cool. There were a couple of days where I was just like, especially when I got in high school, I was like, oh, my God. One of these women got, they need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, was the youngest. Yeah, too awesome. much estrogen, too much estrogen running through the house. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And what made you uh, decide to serve?
1: Well, um, to be honest with you, um, at at a young age, I always, uh, you know, like when we used to go to Mexico and stuff, because we used to visit my grandma all the time, you know, not all the time, I say all the time, but we used to go at least uh, twice a year. My grandma still lived in Mexico, and I loved going to see her. She was like my favorite person in the world. You know, she stood probably like four She's, she was real short, you know, typical short Mexican women, you know, real short, bubbly. She was probably like four foot five. She was real short and she was always lapping. And, um, you know, I was like her favorite, you know, and uh, she uh, she was just my favorite person in the world. And um, whenever we would go, I would always see the hardships that they endured, you know, in the Mexican culture, like we would go downtown Mexico and you don't know how, you know, you always think you have it bad, but you never realize it until you go to a third world country and you see how bad they have it. So to me, it was always about trying to help somebody else because you don't, you know... You think you have it bad, but you don't realize how good you have it until you see somebody who's doing without.
0: Yeah. I remember my mom used to work at missions when I was very little, and she took me to a mission, I think, down in Baja, California. And uh, I think it was around the Tijuana area. And uh, I remember seeing, I remember someone told me, you know, it was a really poor part of Baja, California, almost basically Mexico. And someone said, you know, don't eat your food in front of people. And I was, how old was I? I was probably seven or eight. And I don't remember. Anyway, I was, you know, stubborn and did whatever I wanted to do as an you know, eight-year-old. eight, eight year old. And I remember eating my sandwich and all, I mean, like 30, 40 kids came to the van and they wanted the sandwich and they were shaking the sandwich, I'm mean, shaking the van. And they there. I was, <laughs> my mom comes up. I thought I told you not to eat in front of the kids. And I remember that image and I remember just looking down at him and I remember seeing, man, these, these kids are really, really hungry, you know, and you don't get, I mean, obviously you don't, you don't understand what's going on at that age. But as, as I've gotten older, I remember that, you know, it was, it's one of these pictures, these images that's been t- uh, tattooed in my brain and I remember that mission. I remember what that hunger was like. And I also remember that when I climbed, when I went to Kilimanjaro in 2012, Africa. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, someone told me, you know, you realize, you don't know that you live in a number, uh, in a very, you don't realize you live in a country that's number one until you visit number seven. Right. right. And when you visit number seven... You know, I'm sure you, you I'm sure you understand that when going to Iraq, like running water and and uh electricity when you flip it on, you know, we, we don't think about that stuff here, you know. Flush right. the day, flush, flip the switch, it's gonna light's gonna come on, turn on the computer, it's gonna come on. So yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. It's really yeah, most Americans should know that they should travel more because maybe it'll make people a little bit more um humble and appreciative of yeah. what we
1: Right. And you don't realize it because it's like, you know, a lot of people think, you know, well, Iraq, Afghanistan, other countries, but you don't realize that it's right next door to us in Mexico. You yeah. don't have to travel that far to see it. You can go right next door. Yeah. there. You know, yeah. and that's how it was for us because for me, you know, um, you know, uh, it's right next door. You know, my family, my cousins, I've seen it right there. Mm. You know, my cousins were going through it. Yeah. People that I love, people that I saw.
0: So that made know, you want to serve?
1: That That's- me. Exactly. Because I, I thought, well, if somebody I love is going through this, how can I help? You know, and even though I know that we weren't at war with anybody like that, but it made me think, you know, how can I better serve somebody? How can I better, you know, how can I help? How can I, you know, put what I can do to use? You know, how how can I help? So when we would go down there, I, I thought, well, how can I, like, what I have, what I don't need, how can I give? So I told mom, I was like, well, why don't we take stuff that we don't need? Why can't we give them our stuff? stuff that we don't use anymore. Wow. I was like, why don't we start giving them our stuff? I was like, we don't use it. We don't need it. So we started um giving them <sighs> our clothes that we've outgrown, shoes, even if it, you know, even if it didn't fit them, they could give it away to somebody that it might fit. So that's what we started doing. And we started carrying
0: Yeah, you've started you know, it,
1: our- you've-
0: you're the American story. You started caring for other people. How old were you when you how old were you when you when you joined the <laughs> army? And what did you tell your parents? And what did they say?
1: Well, when I joined, I was a lot older. Um I joined in '98. So I wasn't like a spring chicken anymore. You? I was I already had a good head on my shoulders. I was in my twenties. Um yes. And which so when I joined which is,
0: which is old for uh, joining events because a lot of Vets, a lot of a lot of kids join seventeen or eighteen,
1: right? And I had already uh, been around the world, like not literally, but like I had already moved. I had already went to Georgia. Right. I went to Wisconsin. You know, I had been to several states, and I thought, you know what, I need to do something, you know, with my life. I, I, I'm not. I'm not fulfilling my dream. I need to do something. So I thought, you know, I need, there's something more to life that that I'm not fulfilling and I need to do something. So I thought I'm going to join the military and I'm going to do something better with my life. So I just decided to join the army. And at that time, um, you know, I, I decided to be an aviation mechanic because I loved mechanics. And Is that why you chose the army?
0: That's why you chose yes. Army instead of anybody else, any of the other branches?
1: Right. What so, did your mom what
0: did you, and what did your mom and dad say?
1: Well, they kind of were not. My mom was freaking out, of course, because I'm course. a baby girl. And then my dad was just proud because I was his tomboy. Right. So he was just tickled and he wanted me to wear my uniform everywhere oh that's so awesome and he's like don't tell me for know, for those who don't speak spanish it's like wear yeah. your uniform wear yeah. your uniform yeah. and everywhere i went and i got to the point where i was like dad if you love the uniform so so much why don't i just bring you one and you can wear it yeah because <laughs> you know, he, he, he was just so proud.
0: proud proud immigrant father i mean my dad I was, you know, me and my younger sister were the first ones to go to college, and my my friends would tell me that when they would speak to, um, they would speak to my dad uh, when I was at school, at college at Ole Miss, he would say, my son's in college, my son's in college, and my son's in college right now. I mean, like, and, you know, know, what do you want to eat? I'll have a burger, and my son's in college, you know, and he was so proud that, you know, we were in college, you know, because... it was uh it was just so I I know that I could I could see your dad doing that. Do you remember that moment when you told your parents?
1: Yes, sir, I do. And, and my mom was like in the kitchen. I, I was at home and he my mom was not was not happy. And um but I told her, I was like, mom, you know, I need to do something and I want to better serve and I want to serve my country. And, and I need to contribute and I need to do, you know, I need to do something with my life. And, uh, you know, she understood, she wasn't happy about it. You know, she was worried for my safety. And then um, when I switched MOS's and I told her why I did it, of course that just ruffled her feathers even more, you know, when I switched over to the uh, Intel aspect of it, that just, you know, just did not make her, um, you know, Happy, happy at all and you know of course by then I was
0: and what ahead. year was what year was this when you were when you finally joined this was 98 right so 911 <laughs> yeah. had 911 hadn't happened yet
1: no sir no sir no. um i switched over uh you know shortly after 911 happened is when i switched over is actually uh um uh, let's see, Nine eleven, and then I switched over shortly after that. So by December uh, 2001, I was moved to um, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Right. And um, Mark and I were planning, because I was already with Mark by then, and we were planning to have a wedding um that, you know, to get married. And then when that happened, of course, we didn't, we didn't have a wedding. Before, before we get to
0: 9-11, before we get to 9-11, we started going into your deployment. Tell me about boot camp because, you know, women weren't, I mean, you know, especially in 98, women really weren't being talked about in the military. And, um, I mean, you girls didn't even see combat to 2015. Um, so what was boot camp like for you? And, do you, um, any um anything that's you remember specifically about boot camp?
1: You know, boot camp, I'm going to be really honest with you. Boot camp for me was a breeze. I what? had no problems with it. Why, were you in shape? The, the, uh, well, the drill sergeants, I'm not going to lie, the drill sergeants loved me. Like, I remember one specific drill sergeant, his name was Drill Sergeant Herd. H-E-A-R-D, and this was at, um, uh, when I went to boot camp, this was at uh, uh, Black Lions was the name of it. i got the plaque right there on my wall. It was at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, Mm -hmm. and uh, he, I mean, I was in pretty good shape, um, you know, and uh, I just remember... Um, he just was like, he was like, I was doing like, we did a two mile run and I had twisted my ankle and I still finished the run. And then I remember doing like the field training and stuff. And he was always, you know, he was like, I had the war paint on and I was doing all this crazy stuff and I was just grinning ear to ear. And he looked at me, and he's like, you live for this shit, don't you? That's how he said it to me. And I was like, I okay. do. I love this. I and, love this. you know, there was other females that were just, you know, I'm not going to lie. There were some females that were, you know, just, you know. prime You get some females that are just too. Too girlish. Too prissy, yes. Yeah. And then. Some of them are too problematic, too dramatic, drama queens. And then you get some of us that are like me that are gung-ho. And I I like to think of myself as gung-ho because I was always down for whatever. And I still am. I'm one of those that if it needs to get done and you need to get dirty, I don't care what it is. I'll do it. I don't have any problems. I don't care.
0: That comes across that. I mean, I can see that. I mean, that comes across you. You seem someone really easy going. I mean, since I've known you from you really easy going, really chill, really like, you know, sure, no problem. Uh, (laughs) And and I I've interviewed uh, other vets and female vets who've told me stories of in boot camp of girls was a lot of drama, you know, and girls looking at guys and, and, and you know, looking at that, so that's, you know, that soldier, you know, now I want him now and all that. And she's like, oh, I interviewed somebody, I won't share her name, but she was like, you know, would be in, would be in these barracks, you know, in these crappy barracks with rats and, and, and these girls would just be catfighting over some guy that they couldn't even have, you know. And <laughs> you're just like, Jesus, does the drama ever end? <laughs>
1: yes yes that's how it is and uh, i i just was like you like i had mark uh, and we've been together 20 years now or yes. over 20 years
0: you had your man April. you found your man you like i found love i don't need to get into anything i'm good i'm no, done
1: no i'm done 20 years i don't need nothing else i'm happy and even though he pisses me off sometimes it's all good
0: <laughs> and you and um what do you remember about 9-11? Where were you at when it happened?
1: Uh, still at, Well, I was actually... I wasn't even in Missouri yet. Um, I don't remember where I was at, but I remember I was watching TV, and I seen it, and I was like, is this even real? I mean, it, to me, it just seemed like it was a movie. Were like, you at home? It was yes. And uh I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe my eyes. And I, re- I remember Mark was there, and I was like, "Is this? Is this real?" I was like, I couldn't, you know. And you I know, was. It,
0: it was a, it was I, a very I surreal. I, I remember I, I was coming out of the North Towers when it happened because I was already I in Manhattan. You
1: telling you that,
0: and I and. But I remember very, I, it was like a year before that, for two years, there was a movie called uh, Godzilla. And there was this one scene where Godzilla is um, basically, um, he's coming through the city. And everyone, all, everyone in Broadway, has their, their, their cars are parked and everyone is looking up at Godzilla like, oh, you know, what's going on? And I remember doing 9-11. I remember, uh, someone's, someone, someone said she was crying. Her name was Karen. And I said, what's going on? She goes, a plane just hit the World Trade Towers. And so I remember I, I ran out and I felt, I felt the vibration from the, from the second one. Cause the first one, no one knew what was going on. And I just remember very clearly being on Broadway, all the cars were parked. So you couldn't, you know, you couldn't move between cars. So I remember sliding over a hood and looking up and also seeing everybody else look up. And I just remember for that brief moment thinking, this feels like a movie. I mean, this feels like a like like I was on set somewhere, you know, like it feels like a movie. Like, is Godzilla coming up? But of course, we were all we were in Lower Manhattan, we were looking at the twin towers there that, that were on fire. And so yeah, I remember it just felt like a movie. Just didn't you your brain was seeing it, but couldn't put two and two together. Did you know I... did you know at that moment you were going to war?
1: Yes. Like, I I knew that, you know, uh, for lack of better words, shit just hit the fan. And I remember where I was at. Um, I remember I had flown home because my sister, my oldest sister, had gotten diagnosed with uh, something that's called neuro-sister psychosis. And I had flown home, and I was supposed to fly out, but I missed my flight. That's where I was at. I was at home, but I was home here in Texas.
0: And then what happened? Your staff sergeant gives you a call and says, pack your shit?
1: Yeah, I need need to get home. Or I say home, but I need to get back. Um, You know, and I I was like, what? And I I said, I want to switch jobs. And I went in and I, I had to get tested again. Because you can't get into the MI field just because you say, "Hey, I want to get in the MI field." <laughs> you have to get retested. Right. So I got retested, and I went into the MI field, and that's how I got into the MI field. And do you remember was, when um,
0: you? Do you remember when you got the call? It was your staff sergeant that calls you, right?
1: Yes, and they they. Do you remember said, what he said to me, you? They said, "Did you did you did you see what happened?" I said, "Yes." I said, "I." I didn't, I mean, I was like uh, speechless. I didn't, I really thought that it was not real. Like, I was dumbfounded, you know. Ha, I mean, to me, it just seemed like a bad dream, you know, when you see, I mean, I was, I don't, you know, um, I don't cry, <laughs> you know, for me to cry. You know, but I was like, I was more pissed than I was anything else. Yeah. I, I mean, wanted revenge.
0: Everybody did. Everybody did. Yeah, I, mean, I did wanted
1: it? revenge. And I was like, I want to get those bastards for what they did. Yeah. You know, and uh it was just horrible. You know, a lot of people and, signed up. Yep. Yeah, and that's what uh, prompted, I guess a lot of people was was that that's why a lot of people did what they did.
0: Yeah. And yeah. then
1: um I, that's when I switched over and then um the rest is history, you know, um
0: And so you got deployed to Iraq, right? Uh
1: Afghanistan, Afghanistan first. I'm sorry,
0: Afghanistan first. And then Yeah. How many deployments did you do in Afghanistan?
1: I just did one deployment to Afghanistan.
0: And were you scared when you first got deployed? Cuz you're you know, you're surrounded by men, right? That's the- you're on a big bird big c-130 which people don't understand it's a lot of people (laughs) and you're flying you know like in a blink of an eye you go from you know you know getting fast food in texas to all of a sudden in full you know battalion gear with all your 80 pounds of stuff on your back and all you know getting deployed to a war zone and you know even though because i always wonder you know you know you're a soldier and you know you're getting trained for war but you know, it's one thing getting trained for war and one thing getting on a big C-130 surrounded by a bunch of other soldiers going into a war zone. You know, you're like, oh, this shit's for real. Like, you know.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I was I was nervous. I'm not going to say I was scared because... Um,
0: were you surrounded by men on you know, that first deployment on that plane ride? Plane flight?
1: Well, there were some females on there too. And then when we got there you know when when we uh, landed in Baghdad, I mean in Bagram, uh, we landed at Bagram Air Force Base and we got there and then they said, "You're going here and you're going there. you know, um I, you know it was it was like they split us up and we had a, a hooch or a tent, whatever you want to call it and and then they said, you know, you're going to this hooch, you're going to this hooch. And you're going to this hooch, and then you know, the females are really petty at times, yeah. And I don't care who gets pissed off, I'm speaking the truth. Um, you know, when we got there, it, it was like they were bickering and fighting, and I was like, Man, just put me in the hooch with the guys, you know, because they're less petty than the females, and then, um,
0: and that was allowed, got
1: there no it wasn't allowed but I I thought you know or just let me sleep outside because um (laughs) then we got there and they put me in this in the hooch with these with these females and um females that I had never met before so I was like how's this gonna work you know so I go in there and I'm just me and I'm like got this like I don't care attitude you know and you know I get there and I meet all these females and this female doesn't like this female and this female doesn't like this female and this female's not talking to this female and I'm like oh my gosh are we back in like elementary school or something and these are all older females you know they're not like you know teenagers you know some of them are younger, but most of them are older females. So I'm like, how is this going to work out? You know, because, you know, I'm in my 20s, you know, and I'm like, you know, we need to get along. We're all on the same team. Right. You know, so I go in there and I meet, I meet this, uh, this staff sergeant and her name is uh, Sergeant Cujo. C-U-D-J-O-E. What a name. And, uh, she, she's just awesome, though. And uh, she is from, uh, where is she from? She's from another country. But okay. she's, uh, she's awesome. And I talked to her, and she's like, you know, well, so-and-so and so-and-so don't get along. And you're sleeping right across from so-and-so. And she doesn't like so-and-so. And I was like, well, I'm going to take care of that. So I go in there, and I'm like the peacemaker. So I go in there, and I was like, you know, we're all in here, and we all have one common goal. And I was like, let's all work together, you know. And, and I was like, we all need to get along, you know. So I end up trying to make everybody get along. And then she says, I don't know what you did, Sergeant V. She's like, but, you know, um, she's like, you made peace, and everybody likes everybody now. She's like, so whatever you did, keep it up. So I made everybody get along in there because I threatened to beat shit out of everybody.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> so that's how I made the peace.
0: Well, you know, but, you know, good energy is good. See more violence. I mean, good attitude, good energy, good attitude, having a positive attitude, it's infectious, man. You know, it it, it infects people, you know, um, just like negative attitude and being having a negative energy infects people the other way. You know, so when you're surrounded by someone who's like optimistic and happy, and and you know has a good energy and is pragmatic, you know, you're like, "Ah, I I, I mean, for some people, nothing nothing changes. Then they're, you know, they're assholes no matter what. But for others, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, that seems funner. You know, I'll hang with that girl. You know, and then they change, and then you know, it's like a domino. It's like a you know a spirit that starts infecting everybody. uh, I mean, I know as an actor, I see that all the time in productions or on sets, you know, and, you know it's such a, it's the hardest thing as an actor to be on a set because actors love to bitch. They just love to bitch. The food sucks or my role's not big enough, the money sucks or, I mean, you know, I'm not getting any work, you know, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, you know everything sucks about being an actor. We all got it. Okay. It's not an easy profession. Can we just focus on what's positive? So you really have to steer and you'll always meet somebody on a set or on a production or somewhere that has this horrific negative energy and you just have to kind of like, right. and once you spot them, you're like, you put an X on them. Okay. Stay away from him or her <laughs> and talk to them, you know, cause, cause they right. drag you into it. You know, they start being catty and then you start being catty and then all of a sudden your whole energy changes, you know, and So it's really infectious. Um, How, what did you think about Afghanistan? Like, what was your whole thoughts about Afghanistan? The people. You know,
1: Afghanistan, the people were awesome. You know, um, the country itself was beautiful. Um, I made friends with the local nationals, believe it or not.
0: No, I believe it. I've heard that.
1: (laughs) the, The local nationals, like in the chow hall, because we had some of them working in our chow halls. At the like, Yes. And uh, we worked with interpreters, too. And, like, in the chow hall, like, I worked the night shift. So I worked from 6 at night till 6 in the morning. So when we would go in for breakfast at 6 in the morning, they would pull out, you know, all – they would pull off the – the drinks, like the soft drinks and stuff, and they would put yeah. up, like, the milk and the OJ and the healthy stuff that I don't like. You know, I stay away from the healthy stuff. I like sodas and stuff like that.
0: That's so, the Mex- that's that Mexican in you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they would, when I would go in, in the mornings,
0: I used the, the
1: Yes, the dulce. So when I would go in in the mornings, the local nationals, they got to know me. And so I would go in, and I would shout out something in their language, and they would know it was me. So they would pull out, when I'd get to the line, they'd go to the back, and they would bring me two Dr. Peppers. (laughs) Every morning, they would have two Dr. Peppers for me. In the morning? in the morning, just
0: night, night, for me. Not
1: for anybody else, just for Sergeant B. So everybody else would be like, you know, why is she getting Dr. Peppers and not us? And they'd be just for Sergeant B. So they would bring me the Dr. Peppers so I was like catered to you know, they'd have my Dr. Peppers. Well, I mean, and they had me on.
0: Especially in the beginning of the war, you know, they were I mean they were happy that were you were over there that we were over there as a country, you know. Right. So the bitterness hadn't started again. so if you if you treated them with respect and kindness, they repaid you tenfold, you know. Right. Uh, they were really happy. And I heard amazing sunsets, right?
1: Yes, I've got some beautiful pictures. All us text them to you or email them to you.
0: I like to see some I'm pictures beautiful. of sunsets. I love sunsets. I love sunsets, sunsets and sunrises. I would, um, uh, I, I just, I'm addicted to sunsets and sunrises. I get up early in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. And my favorite thing is to, when I'm jogging, seeing the sunrise come up on me or at dusk, seeing the sunsets. And, you know, Texas has amazing sunsets. New York has some breathtaking sunrises. Um, but I heard, yes, I talked to another vet. She's, <coughs> I can't remember if it was a she or he, but he said um, that uh, Afghanistan had some amazing sunsets.
1: Yes, it's a beautiful I mean, it's, a,
0: it's a desert. It's a desert. I mean, so I can imagine. Yeah, and I heard it's a beautiful country. It's beautiful people. And you did one deployment in Afghanistan. Did you go to Iraq afterwards or no?
1: Yes, I did. I went to Iraq. Um, I went to Afghanistan. And, you know, of course, we have to go through Kuwait to go to Iraq. Yeah. And then uh, we went to... <laughs> Funny story about going to Kuwait, though. Me. So we're going to Kuwait, right? And we, we we're going through Kuwait to go to Iraq. And so I always have to have—I'm addicted to Dr. Peppers. So <laughs> I, I had a cooler of Dr. Peppers, and ice is very hard to come by because there is no ice. Right. So it was me and a couple of our uh, sergeants that were with us, and we're in our Humvee, and we're going you know, to Iraq, and uh, I had my Dr. Peppers back there, and I was like, why the heck am I missing Dr. Peppers? I was like, where are all my Dr. Peppers going? So, there was a sergeant named Sergeant Hadid, H-A-D-I-D, an American soldier, but, you know, and uh, what he was doing was, was when we were going into these little towns, he was giving them to the little local national kids he was tossing them out to them man talk about me losing my temper cuz he was giving away my doctor peppers, peppers. <laughs> you don't mess with, with the my temp- doctor peppers, Dr. peppers. i like, will you don't do that
0: i'll gut you boy
1: that's what i said <laughs> i was <laughs> like you can you can give away i was like that's why i bought cokes I was like the cokes are to give away to the kids like the Dr. Peppers are mine. It's like the Cokes for the kids, Dr. Peppers are Sergeant Lee's. You don't do that. I like Dr. Pepper but too. But that was a funny story because he was he was throwing them out to the kids. And I was like, why am I missing so many Dr. Peppers? But that's what yeah. he was doing.
0: Yeah, it was well, uh, Ira- and Dr. Was, Pepper for uh, them. I mean, that was like they, you know, for you know, Iraqi kids, I mean, they've never had a Dr. Pepper.
1: No. It's like no, you're passing
0: out gold bars.
1: Yes. It, it, and it really is, because to me, that's like liquid gold. That's like, <laughs> you know, that's like, for me, that's my, you know, I don't drink them as much anymore. Um, you know, I've kind of laid, laid off of them, you know, right. but, uh, uh, you know, it, we live in uh, where the area in which we live. You, you should know that there's a Dublin and that's where they were made.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's why I think they're they're manufactured in Texas. There's there's a distributor wow. a big district, Dr. Pepper distributor in Texas.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, I think
0: I remember yes, that. Sir. And what year was this when you were in Iraq?
1: I was in Iraq in 04.
0: Oh four. So you were so so you were in Afghanistan, what in 03? Right. So you were I had
1: back to back deployments. So, I volunteered to go to Iraq. I was only home for like less than a month.
0: And were you married then? Yes. Was that what was that like when you told him, or did he was that tough? Was that?
1: Oh yeah. Well, when I came back from Afghanistan, um, things were already changed within myself. Um, like um, I, I came back with like I just wasn't me the same guy and I was before. had you seen
0: have you seen did you start seeing combat already in Afghanistan?
1: Um I had been in predicaments in Afghanistan. Um I wasn't like in in, in any uh pew pew situations, but like I had been where it got pretty scary situations. Right. But um and I had been in some situations that
0: And you hadn't had your injury yet.
1: No. And then it wasn't until, you know, when I came back, like my husband, um, he could tell that I had been in something. And I didn't share with him what had happened, but he could tell that I wasn't the same uh, Diane as I was before. So um, something in me had changed and he could sense it. Mm-hmm. And my family could sense it, but I never talked about it. Yep. So by then the personality, you know, change the change in personality was already starting to develop. You know what I mean?
0: What was but the thing that
1: fu-
0: What was me? the thing? What was the thing that frustrated you the most when you came back that first time?
1: Um I just I, I don't, I could I can't quite put my finger on it to be honest with you it was just a bunch of different things that happened while we were over there that I never talked about that I wish now that I had talked about that I had put it out in the open and, and yeah. you know um, and I think that a lot of females um, now I would I think that that they should get it out in the open as far as like uh, military sexual trauma right. uh as far as, um, you know, um, higher-ranking NCOs, uh, you know, trying to, um, you know,
0: uh,
1: right, they need to talk about it. And, you think that happened a lot over there? Oh, yes, more so than a lot of us care to admit. But with with me is that I had um, an NCO that um, was there for me, and he believed what I had to say, and he supported me, and he took right. me out of the situation you were in. Yes, and and that's what helped me. But um,
0: you know, I heard that know. story from another female vet that I was interviewing. Um, she's one of the so I'm trying to add these female characters, and I've crafted them out. But so I interviewed four women. And she had a similar situation, and it's, you know, it's nice to hear, just like the rest of the world, you know, military is a microcosm of society, but there are good people out there, and she was taken out of a bad situation. Um, her, I don't know, if it, I can't remember, I get so confused on NCOs, um, I know what they mean, non-commissioned officers, but they, for some reason, my brain, can't. I can't figure out, because non-commissioned means they're not actually military, but it is, I don't get it, anyhow. Um, we won't go into that, that thickness of my brain. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, she told me, and so it's just, there are good people in the military, you know, and, and and there's also assholes. There's also just, just like, just like society. Um, and so then you came back and things were different a little bit. So then you just said, you probably, I'm guessing that you, you felt, fuck this, I'm going back. I'm gonna go. I don't feel comfortable here. I feel much more comfortable in my boots back over there. I'm going back.
1: Right. So I, I went back and and Iraq. Then, uh I went to Iraq.
0: So why why not Afghanistan? Did they 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 choose or did you choose?
1: No, well, see the thing was that we were getting split up. Our our uh battalion was gonna get split up, and I told my husband, I'm gonna end up going to Iraq, one way or another, sooner or later, I said, so why not go back with the group of people that I've already done, served with in Afghanistan, I thought I would rather go back with somebody that's already been overseas and knows what they're doing, instead of going back with a bunch of what I call newbies that don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? That haven't been overseas and don't know how to handle themselves or know what they're doing. So I said, "Um, I'm going to go back. Well, then when I thought I was going to go back, my chain of command had another idea. And he said, no, you're not going to go back. They said, go get your knee looked at because I had problems with my knee. They said, well, you you heard it, go get it looked at. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to Sit call, so I went to sit call it to go get it looked at. So um I said, okay. They said I need surgery. I have a torn meniscus. Mm. So I said, okay. They said, well, okay. You're gonna you're gonna have a torn meniscus. Go get it looked at. And go see when they can do surgery. So I said, okay. So I I said I, I I had you know I said okay. I'm not gonna go. You know I had I had a uh, got it through my head that I wasn't going to go. Well, then I told my, um, my, uh, platoon sergeant, I said, I got back from sick call, you know, they did this and they did that. And, you know, this was over time, you know, cause I was only home for like a month. And I said, they said that, um, I have a meniscus that's torn. They said that I'm going to need surgery, you know? And he said, well, you know, it sucks to be you go back. Uh, you know, um, the commander wants to see you. He wants you to report. And I was like, okay. So I go in and I knock on his door. And I said, you know, how you're supposed to report. I said, you know, and he's like, um, you've got like four hours to go pack your A bag and your B bag, you're going to Iraq.
0: Wow. And I, I didn't with, even have to. With a torn meniscus? I, didn't,
1: I didn't even have time to tell him. I didn't oh. have time to tell them anything. I didn't have time to tell them anything. So I just, you know, the only one that knew anything was the other sergeant, the platoon sergeant. I didn't have time to tell him crap. You know, I didn't have time to tell them anything. So nobody knew, you know. Um,
0: and so, how many deployments did you do in Iraq?
1: I just did that one. That one. You know, uh-huh. and so I, I go and then I'm like, okay. I'm hauling but
0: watch watch that pen, so, Sergeant V.
1: Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry my, right. my So anyways, um, I, I go back from from the base, which is about, oh, I'd say maybe 20 minutes from from the base to my house at, in in New York um and i am like hauling butt because by the time i get both bags ready and get them loaded into the comics, i have to lay everything out make sure i have everything that i need so i am speeding i'm like speeding no lie i'm like hauling butt i get pulled over of course for speeding you know cop pulls me over he's like do you know how fast you're going and i was like i got a pretty good idea Going like 80. <laughs> he's like, Do you know what the speed limit is? Yeah, it's about 50. <laughs> he's like, Why were you speeding? I said, Well, you know, um, I got to go get my A bag and my B bag. I was just told I got four hours to get all my crap ready and go put it in the Conix so that I can deploy. And he's like, All right. He's like, I'm going to let you go, but you be careful. I was like, Roger that. So he lets me go. I get home and I tell Mark. And Mark is livid. I mean, he is pissed, you know, because he's like, you just got back from Afghanistan. And he's like, don't be surprised if when you come back, I'm not here. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was on the verge of leaving me. I mean, when I got back from Afghanistan, he flat out told me he he wanted a divorce, you know, and here I am leaving for Iraq.
0: You know, and so, so and, you know, in that as a female hearing you tell that, I mean, I've heard it from men tell that side of the story, but, you know, because a lot of times, you know, women who, um, who experience either black heart or, you know, people who know what black heart is, is, you know, females who've been alone a lot back at home and their husband's been multiple deployments and something that I learned, through my research of creating the play, uh, my TV series, but it's interesting hearing kind of your husband having a little bit of a black heart. And he was like, I don't like it either. You know, Right. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, the one who's at home doesn't like it.
1: He did not. I mean, he did not. I mean, he, he was like, you know, it's hard, you know, not knowing if you're okay or not. He's like, how many times did you call me from Afghanistan? You know, and I'm on the other end of the line and I, all I hear are explosions going off. All I hear are bombs. All I hear, you can hear is that. Going to, Yeah. He did. He's like, I, "How many times did you call me saying you don't know if you're going to make it out alive?" How many times
0: Yeah, and that's the thing people don't understand. In the early 2000s, man, that's when the shit really hit the fan. I mean, that was when things were getting really heated up over there. The IADs just started, and, and, um, you know, that's when they welcomed us with open arms to now giving us middle fingers. Right. They they wanted us out of there. And uh, did, uh, I lost my train of thought I was going to say, but (laughs) that was something I was going to ask you. Um, but anyway, he, when you call me, he, he could hear the explosions.
1: Right. I remember, uh, Christmas Eve, I called him and, uh, I was feeling sorry for myself because we were out there and it was Christmas Eve and, you know, it was me and my buddy, just the two of us. And this was it's the worst.
0: It's the worst. Cause you know, yeah. it, it's 20, you know, what's going on in the States on December 25th you know, Christmas music, a couple, some booze and presents and jolliness. And you're stuck, with you're stuck in a, you know, you know, a, a bunk with some dude you don't really know. And up in the desert where there's no feeling of Christmas.
1: Right. It was just me and Connery. It was just the two of us sitting in this Connex, and we're all feeling sad. And, it, you know, we were just feeling sorry for ourselves. So he, called his girlfriend and I said, well, I'm going to call my hubby. You know, I got a few minutes, you know, so we picked up the phone and I called him and then next thing you know, kaboom, you know, and this is Christmas Eve for crying out loud, you know, and then uh, I have to hang up, you know, Mark hears this loud kaboom, you know, and I don't even have time to explain to him what's going on. And I just like, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta go. You know? I didn't even have, you know, time to tell him anything, you know, and then, you know, he, I, I called him, you know, a couple of days later and let him know, hey, I didn't die, uh, you know, I'm fine, you know, but he's like, you know, I know that that probably scared the crap out of him, That's you know, true. but, you know. You and, I, and I know that a lot of that stuff, you know, Gets probably got to him like it did to me, but you
0: know, um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, PTS is shared, and that's the thing that I've learned, you know, in my many years being around the military and military people and families. It's shared, you know, it's not just the veteran who carries it, it's it gets it gets passed on to the family, either to the the whole family from the son to the wife or husband, whoever is on the opposite side, and um, uh. yeah, because, you know, he loved you. And um and I I would have to oh I know what I was gonna say, I mean, I would have to guess another reason why you decided to go back is something that I've heard, you know, you didn't want to leave your friends behind.
1: Exactly. And, you know, and like I said, I, I would rather go with with the group of people. It's like who better to have your back than somebody that's had your back once before? You know what yep. I mean? I
0: and, mean- you know, no one has ever, I mean, when you serve, especially when you serve in a war zone, you'll never be, I mean, you'll never be as close to men and women who are over there with you ever again. I mean, right? you're in, you know, you're sharing a very, special bond and no matter how close you get with anybody or any best friend you have or colleague or no one will ever be as close as those men and women you served in a war zone. Um, right. It's, it's a, um, and I, I only, I mean, I know that from, from talking to other vets and I can only imagine, you know, when you share fear and the risk of death, you know, that's a, that's a pretty tight bond. And you and, and, and then they have your back, you you have their back and you'll take a bullet for them and you know they'll do it for you. And it's a, there's a selflessness over there, which probably is you know, I would imagine a lot of us when they come back, especially you know coming back from a you know a war zone. they just Americans just don't have that appreciation of just simple appreciation. You know, they just we don't have the appreciation. You know, when someone has your back and and has that selfless feeling, you come back here and everybody's like about me, 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 me. phone, me, 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 me. You're like, fuck this. Right. I'm going back.
1: And it's like uh, it's more than more than um, it's hard to put it into words because it's like it's a closeness, you know. Um when you're out there, you know, it, it's it's like you're breathing the same air. You're, it, it, I can't even put it into words because it's like they're more than your brother. They're more than your sister. It, 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 it's It's so much, it's a closeness. It, it's like they're a part of you. Yeah, they're your heartbeat. You are their heartbeat. You know, it's so much more than that. I mean, it's like if their heart starts beating, stops beating. It's like your heart start stops beating too.
0: Well, listen when when you're you know, when you're willing to take a bullet from someone and you know they'll do it for you. That that's a bond that it's going to be hard to replicate anywhere else.
1: It is. It is, and it's like. Um, you know, to this day, I miss them, all of them, wow. all of them, you know, there's not one day that goes by that I don't think of any of my, of my battle buddies, you know, you talk, do, you talk
0: to, do you talk to many?
1: Yes, I, I still keep in touch with, I'd say about 80% of them.
0: Oh, that's great. I mean, I talked to other guys. I mean, I talked to, you know, Brian Aish, he's that vet that I think I've mentioned with you. Um, he's on that documentary of a father, son, soldier. It's a really good documentary.
1: I, so, yeah, I watched it. Oh the yeah. One that you sent me the link to.
0: Yeah, did you? It's pretty powerful, right?
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, pretty crazy.
0: Uh, you know, and that whole happened by accident because they were interviewing his unit and then they picked a couple of people and then they just started following them. And then they followed him for 10 years, and then you got that whole story. But uh, so I interviewed him and uh I asked him, you know, do you um um do you still talk to your, to your guys? And he said, no, not really. He says, I don't know. It's just, we all kind of lost touch, you know? Um, and I've heard that from a couple of vets. I've heard some vets who share the same thing that you said, but yeah, I find that interesting. You know, I think it's personality wise. I mean, (laughs) by no means do I try to compare this, but I was really close. I'm really close with a group of guys that I played high school football with, but I've always felt if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't still be in touch you know, because I always made a concerted effort to call them and email them and, and stay connected and just travel together, invite them up to New York, you know, and, and kind of keep the bond together that we had, you know, but I've always felt like if it wasn't for me trying to keep the group together, um, um, that we probably would have just all disbanded. So I think I would imagine that you're keeping them you. You're probably keeping everybody together.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I reach out to a lot of them and I'm like, Hey, just checking in on you. You know, if you need anything, I'm here. You know, if wow. you need to talk, I'm here, you know, um, you know,
0: when's the last I time just, you saw one of them in person?
1: Well, that's a funny story. Uh, when I went to Maryland in November, um, uh, one of my friends that I had not seen since 2006, she was in Pennsylvania and I said, "Hey, Izzy, I'm going to Maryland to see Doctor uh, Carrie over at Johns Hopkins." And she said, uh, "I live in Pennsylvania. I'm gonna I'm gonna drive down to uh, Maryland, and I'm gonna meet you there." So we met over in uh, Baltimore, and I hadn't seen her since 2006. Wow. So we met.
0: That must have been pretty. That must have been pretty emotional.
1: It was awesome. It was the best ever. I mean, I hadn't seen her since 2006.
0: Oh, I get, so, I, I get emotional just thinking of it.
1: And I, I, I um, you know, I, I wrote a poem over that and it's called the uh, same girls as before because oh. um, she uh, brought her fiance, um, you know, um, uh, it's another female. And, uh, you know, I said, I don't care. You know, I was like, I don't care if she's purple or blue. I was like, to me, you're still the same girl as before. And I posted a picture of us in the military when we were uh, in a foxhole and we were um, we were at a shooting range. And I'm short. I'm, you've seen me. I ain't that tall. And we were, she's taller than me. And we were shooting at the at the firing range, and uh, they kept having to bring over pallets for me so I could see yeah. over. <laughs> and and uh, she's in her uniform, and I'm in mine. And this picture was taken like in 2002 or something like that. And uh, I put that picture of the two of us together, and then I put another picture of the two of us from 2021. And then I wrote this poem, and I was like, "In my eyes, we're still the same girls as before, even That's though awesome. all these years have passed." So I seen her, um, you know, and it was it was the greatest feeling ever. I mean, she's oh. like a sister to me. So. Um,
0: I, I just I just turned fiftieth, and uh, there's a friend I used to hang with a lot. We used to call him Huckleberry Finn, and. Doug. <laughs> And we were really close. We were pretty close in high school. And we did, we did on some really fun party trips. And he was a big hunter here in Texas. And we used to go hunting and stuff. And I haven't seen him in a while, you know. And, um, and um, oh, man, when he came to the Granberry show, mm-hmm. he was in the front row. And I told him, I said, hey, he called me up. He says, hey, man, um, I think he had someone who lived there. He says, I'm going to go see your show. I said, are you serious? I haven't talked to him in a while. I mean, you know, 10 years, 15 years uh maybe even 20 and he said yeah i said oh my name was sid i said that'd be so cool man and he was front row and i remember afterwards we had some drinks and i was it was just like time gets erased all the 20 years evaporated you know and it was such a cool and we sat at the bar and i remember he was with his wife and his kids and i said listen you know because yeah you know people change you get older you you don't want to uh You know, presume or overstep your bounds. You know, you don't know who drinks anymore. You don't know who. You know, you, you, you don't. Know, you don't know how people have changed. Especially, right. I haven't seen him in a while. So I just—he was staying because Granberry's a small town. He was staying at the same hotel. He, so him, uh, him, and his wife came with me. We we rode back. We had a couple beers afterwards, and we rode back and to the hotel. And I gave him a hug. I walked him up to his room. So then, then I just sent him a text and said, "Hey." You know, the bar's still open. I'm going to have a couple more drinks. You know, if you're, uh, if you're around, uh, come on down, I'd love to have a drink, but no worries. No, no pressure. You know, I didn't want to make it, you know, like, you know, he was down within five minutes <laughs> and we closed the bar down and we told <laughs> stories and we laughed and we, you know, shared, you know, emotional things. And it was so freaking cool. You know, it was such a special moment. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. awesome. Uh, I want to get to your poetry, but. W- can you tell me where we, you? you were in Iraq when you had your injury, right?
1: Well, yeah, I got medevaced in 04.
0: Do you remember um, anything about your injury?
1: I don't remember too much about anything, to be honest with you. People have asked. And, um,
0: were you in I, a car? I, were you in a Humvee or anything? What do you know? Are you walking around?
1: I I I don't remember. Yeah. I, I was in a Humvee. I got medevaced. I woke up. I was in uh I went from uh, Baghdad to Balad, from Balad to Germany, Germany to Walter Reed. Uh, And since then, I've had about, I think I'm pushing 50 surgeries now. The foot thing was more of a vertigo slash uh, uh, gravity thing. Um, What
0: What was the injury that you had?
1: um to be honest i've had several um uh i've had a back shoulder foot
0: no but that big one what was it it was your back
1: shoulder foot
0: (laughs) oh oh so all of that happened at the same time
1: yeah um but it's getting better um the those,
0: those humvees are not good for people for soldiers backs are they
1: there you know there back then though um the humvee's beta they didn't have them up armored like they do now they don't have much protection
0: you know that's crazy you know when i read when i studied when i read about that i was like what the f- <laughs> what like you know yeah. it's just so many things that happen in the military that it just I couldn't as a a civilian makes your mind boggle. I could only imagine the frustration as a soldier when you're like, why would you not armor these? Like, I mean, hello, McFly. I mean, it's just mind boggling out. You know, I remember McCain fighting for, for those, for that, for that bill to pass. So he can, those Humvees can get armor. Like that should have been done on day one. I mean, that should have been like, you know, you know, putting milk in your coffee. Yeah. Wow. armor you know yeah crazy you,
1: you crazy. want me to tell you a cool story though yeah love um it. have you ever seen that movie black hawk down
0: oh yeah i love it
1: okay so after i got out of the military um there's a place in georgia called um uh, there's a program called faces of freedom look it up it's a good program okay. for soldiers
0: faces of freedom
1: Right, and it's used to be run by a guy called the John McLaughlin. Mc, I don't know how to spell it. But But, uh, anyways, uh, he took us soldiers um, to an event, and I got to meet the real Colonel McKnight and the real Colonel Steele.
0: Oh wow! Were they? That
1: was awesome. That was like out of everything I've done in my life, that's like by far the coolest thing ever was they, meeting them. Were they, they nice? Were like, oh my gosh. They were down to earth. Colonel Steele, his arms were as big as my freaking, both of my legs put together. His I mean, arms those, were like,
0: You know, those guys, they, you know, it would be surprising if they weren't cool because when you've experienced so much combat for you to be an asshole it'd be really weird because when you experience that much a combat you see so much sacrifice that you're um you have a, just a different appreciation for human for, yeah. for humans you know for life you know treating people with respect is probably pretty high up in the priority compared right. to khaki stuff, you know, you know, bullshit stuff.
1: One of the first things that uh, Colonel Steele asked me, now this is the one that marched the soldiers out of Mogadishu. Yeah. you know, the One of the first things he asked me was like, you know, what's it like for a female soldier being in the military? You know, and I, I told him, he's like, you know, But just really down to earth, you know, and he's sitting here asking me, you know, but what was weird was that he was in command when I was at uh, Fort Drum. He was a captain, but I didn't know who he was. Go figure, huh?
0: No, go figure. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, and then uh, Colonel McKnight. You know, he he's just, you know, he was really cool. He was uh when I met him, it was at the same event, but uh he was one of the soldiers took his leg off. He was an amputee, he took his leg off and Colonel McKnight was uh using it as a golf club. <laughs> I was like, who does that? So it was it was really cool, but those are you know, some, some cool. story. You need to look it up. Faces of freedom. It's really I cool.
0: I, I wrote it down. Uh,
1: they took us down. to go meet uh Sean Hannity. You know, oh, he's wow. a big supporter. And uh what's his name? John Boyd. Uh he's a big supporter too. Uh, yeah. of the troops. So it was really cool. I, I got to do a lot of cool stuff, but meeting those two was like the coolest thing ever. That ever. Is- yeah that was
0: really cool did yeah. you, when, when you when when you were over there I mean did you um were you close to anybody who was lost
1: yes there was it, you know what really hit hard was that the guy that I was close to his name was actually Mark oh wow yeah and he was a civilian contractor and uh, it, it made me think about my Mark because he he liked to cook too so it was especially hard for me, you know, because it, it just, uh, you know, it, it made me think about my mark, and I was like, you know, I, I would hate to think of anything happening to him. To my mark, yeah. tell, me, so
0: tell, really tell me a little bit about that mark, but tell me a little bit. What do you remember of him? He loved to cook, well, huh? He,
1: he he loved to cook. He'd always cook us steaks. You know, he was a big steak cooker. Nice. Um, he was a really nice guy. He was a civilian contractor. Um, he just, um, he was just a really nice guy. You know, he reminded me a lot of my guy, you know, and um, I, I was just attached to him for that reason because he he just reminded me so much of my mark, you know. How did you
0: find out? Him. How did you find out when he passed away?
1: Um, I found out afterwards. They didn't tell me until after, after uh, I was already at home. And it hit me really hard because, like I said, you know, we were close. And and like I said, he reminded me so much of my mark. So it was uh it was hard. You know, it just... Uh,
0: <sighs> were his steaks good?
1: Yeah. Yeah, he cooked some mean steaks. Um, Where was he from? He was from Texas, uh, oddly enough. You know, so... I mean, who else but a Texan is going to know how to cook a steak? Come on now. <laughs> Nobody else Amen. but a Texan is going to cook Amen. a
0: steak. Uh, know, well,
1: but,
0: uh, my next steak, I'll do it in Mark's memory. God bless him. May he rest yeah. in peace.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, we also lost, lost uh, uh, well, um, not at that time, but um, another another good person that we lost, not at this time, but he was also uh, a good NCO Um he was a, 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 good, a good friend also, but not, not during this deployment, but somebody that I'd like to mention. Also, yeah. um, we lost, uh, um, he, was, uh, he was from New Mexico, and he was in the military, and he retired out of the military, and then he went on to join uh, as a civilian contractor, and uh, he went to Afghanistan as a civilian contractor. And he lost his life, um, uh, and uh, that that really sucked because uh, he was a good NCO. I can't uh, call his name right now.
0: Uh, well, but what do, you, what do you remember about him? Any anything specific?
1: Yeah, uh, he was from Hobbs, New Mexico, and Halsell, uh, That was his name, Command Sergeant Major Halsell. I knew I'd get it. And uh he was uh I remember he was in charge of us when we were at Fort Drum, New York. And uh he um he was a linguist, believe it or not. A what? And a linguist. He kind of did what I did. I was a linguist also, and uh he did um he made uh the best uh enchiladas verdes. Oh and he made them with uh how does he make? That?
0: How was he able to do that in in Iraq? Right?
1: You know, he he didn't make them for us in Iraq. He made them for us when we were in uh Fort Drum. Fort Drum. Okay. And okay. Uh, he used um Hatch uh, New Mexico chilies.
0: Oh my god!
1: Oh my god! They were the best chicken enchiladas I've uh, ever had.
0: I Hades love spicy it. food. You know. Well, may he rest in peace. What was his name? Say his name again.
1: Command Sergeant Major Hallsell. Command H-A-O-S-E-L-L.
0: Okay, I'll probably ask you to uh, uh, text those names to me so I can put them in that list. Um, um, I, I just love Mexican food. I love. I, I can. I can turn a peanut butter sandwich into a taco. I mean, <laughs> I. I mean, I just. You know, growing up in Texas, you know, my mother was, Colum- my mother is Colombian. My father, he passed away. He was Argentinian. And, uh, and my, my, uh, my, I have a best friend who's Colombian. And when I waited tables as an actor here in Texas, so I, you know, all the waiters were Mexican. So I picked yeah. up their lingua, you know, you know, no mames, you know,
1: you know. Oh,
0: and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and my, juice to drive my mom nuts because I was speaking this kind of Chicano, Texan, Mexican, Spanish, you know, and she was Colombian, you know, and Colombians are very proud, proud about their, Sp- their their Spanish. And she's like, stop talking like that. You know, but <laughs> I, I mean, I collect salsas. I literally collect salsas. I, I can't walk by a jar of hot sauce and not buy it. So um, great. Well, that's, I will, I will think of Sergeant Hustle, Hustle.
1: Hustle.
0: Hustle. i think of Sandra Hossel my next enchiladas. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Thank you for your service.
1: I can make some mean enchiladas too though. I oh. have to make some.
0: Well, maybe next time I come to the Granberry, you'll have to invite me yeah. some dinner. And, um, let
1: me know. I think I everybody seems to like them. I've only I'm made sure. some three times in my entire life. Because I'm not the I'm not the cook in the family markets. Oh, okay. Mark does all the cooking, but I've only made some three times in my entire life, so everybody seems to like them, so.
0: When you finally, I, I would imagine eventually you were honorably discharged, and they told you, right, since you're right. not fit the service anymore. Was that tough?
1: Yeah, I, I was, uh, well, they told me that I wasn't fit for duty, um, you know, and I wasn't going to be doing the job that I was doing, that I love to do, so I was like, if I'm not going to be doing the job that I was trained to do and the job that I love to do, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna be. I can't see myself sitting behind, sitting a, behind desk. a desk. Mm-mm, I just can't.
0: What was the, when you first came back and you were discharged and you were injured, what was the hardest thing those first few months? You remember? The hardest
1: thing was, um, trying to, get over everything, the injuries, trying to comprehend everything that happened. You mean you physically, know, right? Right. Right. Um, you know, the shoulder surgery, the back surgery, the foot surgery, you know, surgery, 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 surgery after surgery, you know, it was one thing after another. It was just trying to get over so list everything.
0: list all the injuries you got from that in, from that from that moment.
1: I've had Three maxillofacial surgeries, three wow. shoulder surgeries, foot surgery, back surgery, and then everything else is kind of secondary to it. Um, you know, I've had about go, you know, around about 50 surgeries by now kind of round about, you wow. know. Um Everything else is kind of secondary to it, right? Uh, The ear thing is, you know, with the craniotomies that I've had, um, it's all kind of...
0: And that's all from that explosion.
1: It's all kind of... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Help me. Like uh, secondary, it's kind of all intertwined.
0: Yeah, intertwined. It's good. Connected.
1: Yes, connected. So, like, I can't hear that well out of this ear right now. Like, it gets muffled, and I've got to have to go in and get a plate put in. There's bone missing. And they, I got what's called something, some kind of like a leak. Um, I forget what they said. I don't know. Some fancy terms that the doctor gave me. I don't know. Um, and then like uh just a bunch of secondary crap going on. That
0: how was how was Mark? You know because he didn't want you to go back to Iraq, and then you come back and you've taken a
1: well,
0: a good he injury. Was
1: pissed. He was not happy. He was more like, "I told you so," you know. But I mean. <laughs> He wasn't, like, mad at me. He was more mad at the situation. Right. You know, um, he just wanted me safe, you know. Um, he wasn't, like, you know, he, he was supportive. I mean, he knew, you know, like everybody. I mean, when you sign up for something, that's what we signed up to do. You know, yeah. nobody held the gun to my head. Nobody... You had a job. Yeah, I mean, it's like with anything else. I mean, all of us signed up to do something and and nobody's holding a gun to our head. Right. You know, and I'm not, you know, like any of my other friends that came back with injuries. I mean, we all have our crosses to bear. This is just mine, you know, and it's all good. It could always be worse, you know, and I'm good. I mean, I'm healthy. I mean, I don't have... High blood pressure. I don't have diabetes. I don't have cholesterol. I mean, the worst of my injuries is just right now I'm dealing with this. So, so I have to deal with this thing. So So,
0: just run probably running a little bit out of time, but so you were dealing, you had some PTS, right? Yes. And then is that when you started writing your poetry, which is amazing, by the way? Did you write poetry? Uh, yes. Did you write poem? Did you write poetry in high school? No. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. It's really. I mean, obviously, it's it's very deep and very dark, but it's very, it's good poetry. I was just talking to a friend of mine who is trying to write poetry, and I said, you know, poetry is a weird art. You know, you can either do it or you can't. I mean, you can try to, because when you read bad poetry, it is bad. You know, you know. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't even do, you know, you can't something about poetry. You know you have to have it's like an it's an organic, innate skill that someone has to write things that rhyme and, and then make sense and still go on a different level, you know. Um, right. um and you have that without a doubt. And I was telling her about your poetry. It's like, you gotta read her poetry. And it's just it's so instinctive, it's so good, you know. Thank you. So beautiful. It comes from my heart. Oh, I know it does. Anybody, I'm going to share one of your poems. Your poems are very powerful. And so is that how you started? What what made you want to start writing um, poetry?
1: Well, um, one of my friends, uh, he lives in New York, and he called me one night, and he was um, on the verge of suicide. And uh, I stayed on the phone with him for for about four or five hours trying to get him to put the knife down and not take the pills. And uh, I was on the phone with him and I had the other line with the police department, had my iPhone, I mean, my laptop or my iPad, actually. And I was trying to find the number to, like the VA trying to get, help for him yeah so i'm trying to do all this and then i stayed up and i just started writing a poem for him and it was called uh
0: and you but uh, before that moment you never written poetry before no. and why poetry why didn't you try writing a story or a love note or something Why? How, i mean that's such I a, don't
1: know.
0: it's such that a specific is, art it's so specific what, you know
1: that's just what came out I I don't know. That's just... What I, bet you, Lord,
0: I bet someone in your family wrote poetry.
1: I don't know. That's what the good Lord pour, put in my heart that night. I mean, it wasn't even night. It was about five in the morning. And I just... That's what just came out. All I did was grab a pen. And that's just what came out. And that's just what I wrote. And then it's like the floodgates opened. And then I just never quit. Stop. And I think I've got like, I think I've got like 500 in there now. Yeah. Now gonna, and Spanish.
0: And you're going to publish a book.
1: Yes, sir. The good Lord willing. Um, we're, we're uh, yesterday and the day before yesterday, we did the photo shoots for it, for the cover. And I'll be then, the first um, one we, buying that book. <laughs> thank you. So we're, we're hoping it'll go well and, Twenty uh, percent of the proceeds are going to go to nonprofit uh, organizations. We're going to put back twenty uh, percent to help vets. Both, uh, both. There's going to be two different nonprofit organizations that I'm going to contribute to to help vets with. Uh, one of them is going to be an organization called um, Operation Finally Home. You need to write that one down. It's a good. It's a good nonprofit to uh, donate to. And
0: that you will know, help. Else- oper- I talk about, sorry for interrupting, but Operation Finally Home. I um, I raised like 5000 right during the beginning of COVID because a vet reached out to me. He was telling me that he he was having a hard time uh, putting food on the table. There's a lot of food insecurity with a lot of uh, military, low, right. low-end low <laughs> military families. And I was like, what? He was, yeah, no, there's a lot of people who are struggling right now. And so he's like e seven below they have a really hard time because especially during COVID, they're usually dual income, then they lost one income because everything was shut down. So I raised, so I you know, I did a GoFundMe. Um, and I won't do I ever do GoFund again, but that's a different story. Um, it'll I'll do a different fund. Um, but um I raised five grand, right? So awesome. So I was gonna donate every penny to a um uh, to any, any veteran group that would take the money, you know, for, for food and security. And so I reached out to you know, a bunch of people and a bunch of military guys, a chaplain. Oh my God, the bureaucracy was murder. It was like, I just want to make sure, I just want you guys to understand I'm giving the money. Like I'm not asking for the money. They're like, who are you? Why do you want it? You know, I mean, why do you want to give it? You know, you got to fill this out. we got to do a background check. I'm just like, you know, I was, it was to the point where I was like, I was going to give all the money back, and then finally, uh, I, I was going to do the show up in um, uh, Fort Bragg's in up in North Carolina. And so I knew someone there. She said, "Listen, I know somebody at the YMCA food shelter, at Fort Bragg's. They'll help you." So they finally said, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we just need to, you know, have you fill out us you know, one sheet of paper who you are and why you want to do it." And I was finally, and, I, and then I sent them all the money, and then you know they, they took a picture with a check and everything. But I was like, Jesus H. Christ, that was difficult. Like, I'm trying to give you guys money. It was so so brutal. Anyway, um, I hope these profits don't give you that much trouble as the one that I had, the other ones that I had.
1: No, but mine is going to be directly through, like once I get the book published on Amazon, um, you know, it's going to be directly through them, like, Automatically, ten percent is going to go, you know, to, you know, uh, Operation Finally Home, and then ten percent to Rally Project.
0: Rally Project.
1: Uh, Rally Project is local to uh, Hood County in North uh, Texas. Okay, I'll <clears throat> so, let me know. But I, I'll try
0: to I'll try to help you with these support and support and donate as well. Awesome. Uh, because I'm always donating different funds, different veteran military funds. It's it's hard, you know, sometimes you want to find the good ones, you know. Yeah. And I know Wounded Warriors get a, has a lot of bad rap, but I spoke to someone about Wounded Warriors and some different organizations. I spoke to a guy named Dan Lauria. He's a famous actor, but he does a lot of stuff with Wounded Warriors. And he said, even though the Wounded Warriors only gives like 20% of their funds to veterans, twenty their 20%, their 20% piece of the pie is bigger than... A lot of organizations, fifty or sixty percent of the pie. Wow! Um, So they, though they do a lot of marketing and shows and a blah blah blah, and a lot of money goes into all that administration. But they do it. Their, their, their. I guess their mission or their business business. uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, business plan is you know they basically do all those bells and whistles so you can have a big piece of pie to give away so i don't know but it's always you know you're always trying to find the right foundations and the right organization to give them the money because you want it you know you don't want to go no one wants to give money and have it go to administration you know you you wanted to go to the vets to the soldiers
1: well operation finally home what they do is they build houses for soldiers and actually Uh they built my house the house that i live in now it was built by them. and That's, all,
0: that's Operation Finally Home.
1: Right. Right. They built me them. a custom built mortgage free home that I live in now.
0: It's kind of like what Tunnel for Towers does, right?
1: I don't know who they are, but.
0: Are they <laughs> do that in you, here. You never heard of them? Tunnel for no. Towers? No. Tunnel for Towers. Yeah, it's. Uh, anyway, I won't go into it, but they do same thing there. Uh, the guy who does it, his his brother died in 9 11. So now he basically has taken on this whole mission about building vets, uh, first responders, uh, injured soldiers, um, uh, widows. uh, um, Oh, wow. Everybody, he gives them a mortgage-free home.
1: Yeah, well, that's what uh, Operation Finally Home did for me. They built my husband and my family and I a custom-built mortgage-free home back in 2017. And then uh, Rally Project, what they do is, um, or yeah, Rally Project, what they do is they help uh, veterans and uh, first responders with immediate needs. And I I uh, work with them also. That's why I chose those two organizations to help.
0: I'll reach out you know, to them people. and I'll tell them that I know you and then see if I, how I can help them.
1: Right. Um, That's why I chose those two organizations because those are near and dear to me. Yeah. So I'll help them by, by You know, hopefully, my book goes. You know, it'll sell and it'll do well. And then,
0: I had a couple more questions that I just wanted to ask before we wrap up. But when you first came back, being a woman, I want because I want to ask specifically to you as a female, as a woman, did people? How do I phrase this? Did people get? Because they, you know, they see a woman, they're like, you know. They don't know that she served, right? You know, especially no one expects a woman to serve. No one expects a woman to have, you know, receive a Purple Heart. You know, and so
1: everybody thinks it's my husband.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm trying to phrase, but that's what I'm trying to ask. I'm trying to put that in a, an intelligent question. My, my thick brain can't do it right now, but
1: yeah, um, everybody assumes it's the husband that served and not me, not Um, you, right? Even even to even now, uh, you know, they see my car, and it's got. Uh, vet plates on it and they don't assume it's me they just automatically assume it's my husband you know he's the one with the short hair he's the one that's all tall and you know burly and me I'm just you know short did long that, hair. That, I don't hit the rule
0: no I know I know I know and and I've heard that quite a bit from a lot of female vets uh, you know going to places where there's a A big gathering, and someone knows that someone in the family—it was a veteran—and they buy the husband a beer instead of the woman because they just—they just just assumed it was the man. Did that bother you?
1: It it doesn't because I'm not in it for the notoriety. No, but did
0: it? But when you first came back, did it bother you? No, no, no.
1: It it never did because it's like to me—I don't need the acknowledgement. I don't need the pat on the back. Yeah, it doesn't bother me even now. Um, you know, what does bother me? is It
0: bothered me. If I was you, I'd be pissed.
1: It it doesn't, you know, to me, it's like, you know, it it really doesn't, to be honest with you, it it, it doesn't, my husband gets mad, you know, he's like, why do they think that I'm the vet and my son gets mad? You know, they're like, he's like, mom, you know, why are they saying that dad's the vet? You're the one who served, not dad. He's like, why are they saying dad served? You're the one who served. And I was like, babe, you know, what do you want me to do? Wear a hat that says, I'm the vet, you know, not him. I was like, it's, it's okay. I was like, I don't need to prove myself to anybody.
0: And you're, I've always
1: had that attitude.
0: You're amazing, man. You're a special, special human.
1: I You know, to and I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, you're, you're awesome. And I'm telling you the God honest truth. I have always felt this way. I do not need to prove myself to anybody. I am who I am. I've always been very outspoken. I'm an asshole. I am an asshole to the T. Even there's, there's not a T an asshole. Yes, I am.
0: I can't see you as an <laughs> asshole.
1: I am. I am. I'm very outspoken. I am very... Um, if it's on my mind, I'm going to say it. If it hurts your feelings, I
0: apologize. Well, that's not, a, that's not being an asshole. That's just being <laughs> you know, outspoken. I mean, that's, you know, I, yeah. I just, I just shared my daughter came home and, you know, I, I try to, you know, you, when raising a girl, you know, you, you, you have have the balance, you know, of teaching them to be strong, teaching them to have a strong voice, but, you know, also not making them into bitches, you know? Right. And, and right. It's, uh, it's tough, you know, because, you know, boys different. So my, she had a problem at school because basically everybody in class got, uh, everybody in her, her, her class got, um, got punished because some kids were making too much noise. So they all had to eat in silence. She was really, I picked her up from school yesterday. She was so angry about it. And so I said, well, why don't you write a letter to the vice president, uh, to the vice principal? She goes, no, I don't want to do that. I go, well, if you want your voice heard, you need to express your voice. So she exactly. sat down last night and she wrote a letter. And um, um yeah, and I said, and, then, you know, that was the lesson I was trying to give her. I was like, you always speak your voice. Don't right. get to speak your voice. That's so, right. Um, but yeah, it's a tough thing. So I wouldn't call that an asshole. I think you're just an outspoken woman. I think people, I think women get the, you know, my my, my wife is very... Uh, she's a strong woman, you know, um, I don't mean physically, but just in personality wise. And yes, sir. And um, that's why I married her. You know, I, I was never the kind of guy that I could do well with, you know, flowers. You know, I was just I, like, I just get bored. I'm like, okay, this is not working out. This is. Boring.
1: Yeah. I don't need flowers. Take me fishing. I'm the, I'm the, I'm an outdoorsy gal, but like, like I was saying, um, to me, I, I I don't need to prove myself to anybody. I am who I am. Either you like me or you don't. But um fuck off. I have like. a saying that I always tell everybody. And 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 this is my saying and you you can take it or leave it, but I always say, you know, and and lord forgive me and my friends if you're listening to this or if you're going to watch it later, I'm sorry, but I always say this. If it if it doesn't If it affects my eating, my sleeping or my pooping, then I have a problem. But if it doesn't affect any of those three, let it be. We're good to go. We're good to go. But if it starts affecting one of those three things, then I have a problem. But if it doesn't, hey, we're good. That's great. We're good.
0: What do you let me ask you these two last couple important questions. Um, What do you wish civilians understood about the military and women in the military?
1: I wish that they would understand, you know, what we go through as females in the military, as far as like what it does to our mentality. They don't understand what we go through You know, not just as, you know, physical trauma, but as far as, like, the mental trauma that we go through, the sexual trauma that we go through. I mean, we we as females, we go through a lot, you know. um,
0: Let me ask you this. If I did a show and I do a female combat veteran story, let's say I do a show. Let's say the whole theater is filled with female combat vets. How many, if you were going to guess, how many... How many um, female combat vets in the audience? You think had sexual trauma in the military?
1: I'd say about ninety percent.
0: Ninety percent? Yeah. Ninety. That's a I much higher, say, that's a much bigger percentage than I thought.
1: Yeah, I'd say a lot of them have gone through it, but none of them will speak out because they're afraid of the repercussions and they're even, afraid. Of, even uh, so now, even, even as, yep. even as a veteran. Yes. You're,
0: you're out. What, what, yes. what, what. They're ashamed. As
1: they're ashamed because they didn't speak out or they're ashamed to tell their family members about what happened.
0: You really think 90% now, is that because you went through oh, or, do you, or that's just from, you know, that
1: I just, I just, from what I've seen, because right. when I was in, I saw it firsthand. A lot of the times, from what I saw firsthand when I was up there, I mean, I saw it firsthand. I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, a, a male NCO harassing a female soldier, and I would step in, and I would be like, "You know, hey, well, you know, what's the deal?" And the female would say, "Oh, it's okay." And I'd be like, "Well, no, it's not okay." You know, why are you letting him do this to you? You know, don't let it happen. I mean, if you're part of the problem, if you're going to allow it, you know, why are you letting him grab your ass or why are you letting him grab you in any way? You know, I was like, you're you're part of the problem because you're allowing it. You think it's okay. You think it's funny. It's not funny. To me, it's not, you know, you letting him grab your hoo-ha, you know, that's not to me. That's not funny. No, you know that's your that's, you know.
0: How how many percentage of women in the audience do you think were severely uh, had really bad sexual trauma?
1: How many had really?
0: No, if, if I had a th- if I had a an uh,
1: um, I'd say at a least theater least full least.
0: half fifty percent. Wow, I'd that's still half. That's even bigger. That's still bigger than I thought.
1: Yeah, because a lot of them, they, you know, you, you got to think about it. A lot of them are afraid to step up. A lot of them don't have, you know, a lot of them are afraid of, of what can happen to them. A lot of them are afraid to step up. They're, they're, they're scared because they've either been threatened by their chain of command or they've been threatened by whomever committed this crime against them they're afraid, you know, I was never afraid. I was like, this, this ain't going to happen to me. I'm not going to be a victim. You know, this, this NCO that tried to do this, he was a gunny Sergeant in the Marines. And I said, this is not going to be me. You're not going to do this shit to me. I'm not going to let this happen.
0: That's just such a much bigger.
1: It is. It's it's a lot more problematic than what people are saying it is. It's a lot bigger problem than, than what than what people really actually think it is.
0: Um well uh, I have to wrap this up because I I gotta get to this. I forgot about this doctor appointment. No worries. Um what advice would you give? Me? Anybody, any vet who's transitioning out of the military or dealing with PTS?
1: You know, find an outlet. Don't turn to drugs and alcohol, of course, but find a positive outlet. You know, turn to God, turn to the Bible. That's what I did, and I know it sounds cliche. You know, a lot of people might think, well, I don't believe in God. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to do this and that. Even if you don't, you know, try to find a positive outlet. You know, go outside, enjoy nature, grab a fishing pole, go to the lake, go to the river, find something positive to turn to. You know, um, there's a lot of bad things that happen, yes, but there's a lot of good things in life, too. You know, don't just focus on the negative things. Try to stay positive.
0: Yeah. I mean, what uh, Brian gave me, he says, you know, the first thing you got to do is you have to find an identity. You have right. to find a purpose, and you have to find something you you find something to do that you love. Right. Um. You found your poetry. You found your identity. I would imagine with God, and you found right. your purpose. You know, your art right. can really become a purpose. Um. And that's probably the challenge for a lot of vets. You know, I, I someone asked me, you know, what would you do? You know, how, how can you could they see my play? You know, and they're like, you know, mm-hmm. what should we tell vets who are struggling? And I I, I was like, I. I don't have the answer. You know, I, I, am not even a vet. I just want to, my whole purpose of doing the play was to say thank you and say that I care and, 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 and remind everyone and to remind people, you know, that we all should care and we should all understand the true sacrifice. So that's always been the goal of the play. But what I've learned over the years is now when people ask me that question a lot, and I was just asked that in Iowa, is just that, I think now what I, what I've started saying is, you know, to tell not to give up like if right. whatever that therapy is if if talking to a therapist is not working go find another therapist and if that therapist is not working uh, go do equine therapy you know yeah. equestrian if that and if that doesn't work talk you know get a dog canine therapy you know find. you just you and have now, to you have to you have to resist the urge of giving up you know right. And because, you know, you want to give up, you know, Um, and vets, and I try to share that in my play and I shared it in my TV series, but vets, you know, you've been given the skill of discipline that most people don't have and teamwork, you know, and if they can just, when I wrote my TV series, I try to rely, I try to kind of hammer that at the very end, you know, that vets need to use the skills they were given, you know, brotherhood, teamwork and discipline to find themselves out of whatever their dark hole they're in, you know? Right. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, I do. And I, I just think that, um, you know, you don't need to let what happened to you define who you are. That right. was what, what happened to you is what happened to you, and it's not yeah. who you are now. You need to find who you are and move forward, you know? Find a way to, you know make a new you so to speak you know i don't know just like with like you said with me poetry has has been my outlet you need to find a new outlet for you what's gonna work for you you know fishing you know it's always been my peace of mind that was funny
0: you say fishing because that was Brian's thing that's what he said he says I'm fishing and he told his wife I'm fishing and if you stop me from that's fishing it. we're gonna have problems so I'm gonna that, fish. that's
1: what I do I mean that's where I've find my peace i mean i'm just so at peace in the water i mean my husband's have has had to pull me out of the lake at two or three in the morning that's great because i'm out there fishing he's like who's gonna skin all these fish well you are see
0: (laughs) (laughs) so listen let um I've had you on for two hours here, so let me. Oh, yikes. I want to thank you, Sergeant V, for giving me the time to talk to you, thank to you. share your story. I think it's a beautiful story. I think you're a beautiful person. Thank uh, you, you as well. I think you you're an amazing, and I believe our paths are our paths are going to keep crossing. So, um, um, so um, yeah, yeah, just thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And- god bless you and i love your show and you know I, i'm just thankful that that we met you know the good lord put, the good lord you know put us in each other's path for a reason yeah.
0: you know that's been the amazing thing about this play is you know i'm blind a little funny story i'm blinding my left eye and when i was getting recruited out of high school when i played texas football um you know, when you play Texas football, everybody, you know, you're on the top of the list for big being, you know, for recruits to call you. And, uh, <laughs> um, I so I, you know, I told them I'm blind in my left eye and they're all like, Oh, Hey, you know, I think you're gonna have a good life kid, you know, but you know, the army's not for you. Hey, you know, you think you gonna have a good life kid, but the Marines not for you. Hey, I think you have a good life kid, but you know, the coast guard's not for you. So I kind of just in whenever any recruit would call me, I would just tell them right off the bat, Hey, before you get, your, go on to your spiel, um, I'm blind in my left eye. So, I remember after all that, you know, it was like a week, they all call you, they like, they have a week when they all start calling you. And I remember just going thinking, okay, I'm done with the military and I'll have no, like I'll never have a connection with the military because I was never going to serve or anything, you know, and to see where I'm at now and the relationships I've built with so many veterans and how versed I am with the military. It's funny. You know, I was like, life is so freaking funny, man. I mean, you know, uh, you know, here I am. I, I know everything about every branch or a, a lot about every brown woman, say everything, but a lot. And I'm connected to Green Berets. I'm current connected to you and female vets and combat vets and Air Force veterans and pilots, you know, and, and all these different sergeants and all these different people that, it, you, I mean, if you, in a million, in a billion years, if you told me that I would be able to reach out to them, Vietnam vets, Korean vets, I got one Vietnam vet named Joseph Reynolds, and he just constantly, he's, being a supporter of the plane, he helps me so much. He's so kind. And uh I just would have never thought I'd have this connection with these, with people like you who've given so much for this country and are you are the backbone of this nation. Everything that we experience that we're able to enjoy and take for granted today in the United States of America is because of men and women like you who've put on the uniform. And um yeah. I I I personally can't thank you enough. And I'm I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of your poetry. I think your poetry you. is so special, and so amazing. And uh I'm glad you're willing to trust me to to come on here.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me. And God bless you and thank you for everything you do and keep up the good work with your play. I, I for one, am a huge fan. And thank I can't you. wait to come back to Granberry again.
0: I will. Thanks, thank Sergeant V. That's Sergeant V, and uh, this is me, Douglas, on the Actors Podcast, and I just want to say thank you for, uh, uh, for listening.